I'm going to invite you to join me in the book of Isaiah, beginning in chapter 52 and verse 13 through chapter 53, which chapter 53 is only 12 verses. So we're looking at a total of 15 verses here. As I've mentioned formerly, uh, in some settings at least, uh, chapter breaks are not divinely inspired. And so we're going to begin this chapter where it should have been made to begin by the editors uh, of our Bibles. And so we're going to start in chapter 2, verse thir- 52, verse 13. <coughs> Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle or startle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him, for what had not been told them they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall consider. Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked. But with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he, God, shall see his seed, 
He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. These words were written about 700 years before Jesus' birth. And yet, even the New Testament, even those writing following the death and resurrection experience of our Lord Jesus Christ, explain the gospel with no greater clarity than we find here. It is as clear as it can possibly be. In fact, there was a fellow many decades ago, back in the uh, mid-1900s or so, a Jewish fellow by the name of Danielson, who had the largest pesticide business in the entire greater L.A. area. This guy was a multi-multi-multi-millionaire, and he had a mansion that exhibited that. And being ethnically Jewish, he would often invite his Jewish friends to come to his mansion. Sure, I'll come to your mansion. And he would invite them in, and he would sit them down, and he would cross the room, and he would say to them, now they knew he was a Christian, but, you know, we'll overlook that for the meal, for the pleasurable opportunity of going into his splendid home. But he would sit them down, cross the room, open his Bible out of their sight. He's got a screen in the way. And he would say to his Jewish friends, I'm going to read a portion of the Bible to you. And when I am done, I'm going to ask you two questions. Who is it about? And number two, is it from the Old Testament or the New Testament? And he would read Isaiah chapter 53 to them. And 100% of the time, their reply was, well, that's obviously Jesus of Nazareth, so it must be the New Testament. And they just gave the game away. He would pick up his Bible, walk across the room, and show them, no, Isaiah 53. And you're right. You're right. It is Jesus. Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, my. That's how clear it is. But what does it say? What does this say? God the Son. From eternity, God the Son, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are uncreated beings. They are eternal in the reality of who they are. Here is a band of creatures on this ball of dirt that need to be rescued. And God is going to show the angels as well as those sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. He's going to show them the reality of mercy. Mercy, love, 
And I've made this point before. I honestly think God was using the serpent. God was using Satan. God, why did he create at all? Is to create sentient beings, angels and humanity, who could understand the fullness of who he was. Well, something Lucifer had no idea about were words like mercy, love, kindness, gentleness. He's about, he's engineered the fall of man. He's about to learn a lesson. All of the angels are about to learn a lesson. We're about to learn a lesson because it is disclosed to angels and men that there is a the God who is the creator God loves, forgives, restores, has mercy, and he delights in it. I love the testimony in the Gospels that the little children climbed into Jesus' lap. While his disciples are saying, you kids get away, you kids get away. No, stop it. I love this. That is the kind of God we have. That is a revelation. And what do we have here? We have the personification of wisdom becoming a man. Behold, my servant... And in the Hebrew Scriptures, the servant of the Lord, the servant of the Lord, the ser- that's the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ coming. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently, wisely. Jesus walked with wisdom. Even when his worst enemies were peeking at him from behind every kind of bush and around corners, they could find no accu- nothing to accuse him of. And every time they tried to trip him up, they ran away. Because he walked in wisdom and love. And he exhibited to them the reality of what their God was like. And honestly, folks, the most shocking thing, both in the history of Israel and the Hebrew Scriptures and in their opposition to Jesus in the Gospel accounts, is how hard of heart the religious leaders were. How dare you heal a man on the Sabbath? Isn't healing an act of God? Is God allowed to break God's law? Is God allowed to set that? And that's when they would run away. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. When Jesus stood before the the Jewish leadership, had Jesus arrested. They gave him an illegal trial in the middle of the night. That's against Jewish law. They couldn't even then get their coached witnesses to agree in a public testimony. Because Leviticus requires at least two witnesses in agreement. Better to have three. They couldn't get them, even if they were coached, they couldn't get them to agree publicly. So they, in frustration, take him to Pilate, and what is your accusation? Well, blah, 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 blah. you just crucify him. That's not how it works. 
What's your accusation? What's your... And finally, in order to prevent a riot, he agrees to the crucifixion. But Pilate's own wife had sent word to him, do not have anything to do with this just man. I've been tormented all night in dreams because of the reality of his being a just man. And Pilate washed his hands of this. I am washing my hands of what is happening to this just man. And the reply of the Jewish leadership leading the crowd was, let his blood be on us and on our children. Not wise. Not a good choice. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. And it is amazing how many times people coming to Jesus for healing their very words are, and this is the word used by the gospel writers, they are worshiping him with those requests. Why? Because they're asking him to do something that it is known only God can do. And he does it. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. They worshiped him. They worshiped him. They worshiped him. They lifted him up. Who do you say? Jesus asked the apostles. Who do you say? Who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're Elijah the prophet. Some say you're the prophet described in Deuteronomy. So who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Good one, Peter. Heaven itself has disclosed this to you. He will, shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. And it wasn't long afterwards that he took Peter, James, and excuse me, Peter, John, and Andrew to the Mount of Transfiguration. And they witnessed Jesus transformed in heavenly glory before them. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, probably a reference to Isaiah, who suffered a lot of abuse. In fact, he ultimately was, was killed, was martyred. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage, his facial features, was marred more than any man. Jesus was beaten. His face was beaten by the, the soldiers of Herod Antipas. They, they put the crown of thorns on his head. The Romans did. So shall he, this Hebrew word can be translated either sprinkle or startle. And then both of them work. So shall he sprinkle or startle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. Well, who is Jesus? <coughs> he is king of kings. Lord of lords. God of gods. And he comes and accepts this kind of treatment Kings want adulation, typically. They want reverence. They want to be treated with the most wonderful kind of respect and love and appreciation. And here is Jesus accepting the opposite. Kings shall shut their mouths at him, for what had not been told them they shall see. 
they'll find out what a real king looks like. And that a king is a, an authentic king by God's standards is a true servant. Kings shall shut their mouths at him for what had not been told them they shall see and what they had not heard they shall consider. You may remember a couple of weeks ago when we were in the Gospel of John chapter 4, the woman at the well, well of Sychar, when she has her background spoken out by Jesus, she doesn't run away. Jesus sits back, I mean, the picture I get in my mind, she sits back with eyes wide and says, well, we have heard that when Messiah comes, <coughs> he will tell us all things. I who speak to you am he. And that's when she runs into this town of Sychar to the town square and tells the men there what has happened. Would you please go out and check on this fellow and make sure I got him right? Would you come back with your expert reports? And I cross-reference to this statement. Where does it say in the Hebrew Scriptures, he will tell us things we did not know before? Right here, kings, who are the most well-informed people on the planet typically, uh, they will learn stuff <laughs> they hadn't heard before. Who has believed our report, 53.1, who has believed what has been spoken to these kings, to these peasants? Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord, the greatest strength imaginable, the arm of the Lord, been revealed? When Jesus went to the cross, it looked like an act of absolute, utter weakness. It was the opposite. He could have spoken a word and all of those Roman guards could have fallen dead. He could have, angels could have come and delivered him. And he chose not to speak that word. In fact, he was exhibiting the strength of God in not crying out for that deliverance. Because in not crying out for his deliverance, he's actually accomplishing a deliverance of the entire human race. All those who cast themselves upon him for his mercy and for his, for his grace. Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. He isn't born in a palace, he's born in a stable. He lives in Bethlehem. Excuse me, he spends the first couple of years in Bethlehem, David's hometown. Then he's raised in Nazareth. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? There's no, he is a carpenter's son, we say, they, they think. There's nothing about his trade, his place, anything that is an accolade except the reality of who he is as a person. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. Isn't it amazing? In the four gospel accounts, we don't have any physical description of Jesus. 
That's really pretty remarkable. Why? Because it was the least important thing about him. It's what he would accomplish from his inner man that would be something worth drawing our attention to. And it just amazes me, all these paintings we have of Jesus. Okay, these middle-aged Italian guys from the Middle Ages are not necessarily what Jesus looked like. They may be. (laughs) I don't know. We don't know. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. What drew people to him wasn't what he looked like, obviously. It was what he said and what he did. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. This is the opposite of the life experience that you expect from a king, to be the experience of a king. And he is king of kings. He is God of gods. He is Lord of lords. Yet what is his life experience? He is a man, he is despised, he's rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we, Jewish people, as a general rule, what did we do? We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. We did not value him at all, and we did not esteem him. Especially as you read through the Gospels, you find no matter what Jesus said, no matter what Jesus did, it was never going to satisfy the sinful opponents. Annas and Caiaphas were giving up their lucrative control of the temple. No matter how much evidence, we're going to despise him. We are going to refuse to give him the worship he deserves. The lepers worshiped him. The people that he healed and released from demon possession worshiped him. They followed him. Verse 4. Well, wait a minute. He is a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with grief. Surely he has borne our griefs. Why is he experiencing this? As if he has done something grievous that deserves punishment? <clears throat> He's taking our punishment. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The things that, would grieve, that we ought to authentically be grieved by, be sorry, sorry about. He's carrying the retribution that we deserve. He's receiving in that time of his suffering and then especially on the cross. He's receiving the treatment from heaven that we deserve. That we deserve. He's borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. What did Annas and Caiaphas, the passage we read from Matthew, what did he saved others himself? He cannot save. Hardy, har, har. They mocked him. They mocked him. The one who was actually paying sin's penalty for them. They are mocking him. 
who was wounded for our transgressions, who was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace that would bring peace to us was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. What do we want? We want forgiveness. We want peace. We want healing. And what he endured on the cross frees his Holy Father to grant that to us. All we, oh, let's talk about us for a moment here. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And any of you who have ever had any experience working with sheep, you all know you don't want to do that again, if you can avoid it. Sheep are really dumb. If there's a way to get themselves in trouble, they will find it, and you will have to rescue them. My wife and I have both had horses, goats, and sheep. We don't want sheep. Goats are fun. Goats are fun. Sheep are not fun. But we're compared to sheep. And everybody reading this in Isaiah's day and every succeeding generation are going, ah, ouch. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He declared Jesus guilty of our sin and then poured out on Jesus of Nazareth, God the Son become flesh, poured out on him, and that six hours or so space of time he was on that cross, all of the lake of fire, all of the hell that you and I deserve for an eternity. So that he would then, and Jesus will say, the sixth statement he makes from the cross, it is finished, it's paid in full. That gives his Father complete freedom to forgive us. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, given a, an illegal trial. Pilate is even admitting publicly what is happening here is a just man. Those are Pilate's words. A just man is going to be afflicted. A man against whom none of these accusations, none of them stick. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. And look at how many, the high priest, aren't you going to answer these charges? Pilate, aren't you going to answer these charges? Finally, he only responds to Pilate when the Jews said, well, he claims to be a king. Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, they got that right. Well, that's not a sin, by the way. <laughs> he is the king of the Jews. And what was the plaque nailed over above his head on the cross? Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And the Jewish leadership saw that, and they came back to Pilate, and they said, you changed that sign to he said he's the king of the Jews. And this is where Pilate drew a line, and he said, what I have written, I have written. You can go pound sand. I'm done with accusing you. He was taken from prison, excuse me, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. 
fact, I can remember my wife and I, we had just moved with our family to Kansas, and we were in eastern Kansas, and there were people that raised sheep there, and right across the road was this property where there were sheep, and the fellow that owned that property was a member of the church I was pastoring, and he invited us to come over and watch him shear sheep, and so we were in his barn, and he starts shearing this sheep, and this sheep is, in, and he's this guy shearing, and my wife said, I can't believe this sheep isn't it's just letting you do this and not doing anything, not, not speaking out. And this guy looks at her and he says, as a sheep before it shears is silent? Oh, <laughs> that's how sheep are. When they are feeling, and believe me, while you're shearing them, they're not happy about it, but they're so, they're immobilized by their fear. As a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, given unfair treatment, and who will declare his generation? Okay, this is the end of him. That's what the Jewish leadership thought. For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people, says the Holy Spirit through Isaiah's pen. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked. This is 700 years before Jesus' experience. Made his grave with the wicked, crucified between two thieves. But with the rich at his death put into the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, a very wealthy fellow who had had a tomb carved out of a solid stone, and it is still to, there to this day. You can go over there to Jerusalem and walk up to that empty tomb that, that wealthy Joseph of Arimathea had, had made, intending it for his own use, and then he gave it to the use of Jesus. So great was his love and loyalty to Jesus. They made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Why? Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. He never said anything that wasn't solid truth. Yet, the biggest shock verse in this whole chapter, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul, the torment of his soul, what he experienced on the cross in his inner person, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Folks, as bad as the physical torment was to Jesus, what we were not able to witness was the invisible torment that came to him for the first time of in all of eternity, there was a separation between God the Father and God the Holy Spirit from God the Son, and actual hell was poured out on God the Son. And it pleased the Lord to do this. Why? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten God the Father loved us so much he sent the Son. God the Son loved us so much that he obeyed the Father, and came to be our sacrifice. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul, the torment of his soul, an offering for sin, when you say, when you point to what Jesus experienced on the cross and say, Lord, 
he accomplished what needed to be accomplished to give you freedom to forgive. And you say, may I have that benefit? God says 100% of the time, yes, 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 yes. More eagerly, eager, either eager to <laughs> give it to us than we are even to ask. When you make his soul, the torment of his soul, an offering for sin, he, God the Father, shall see his seed. He shall see the outcome of what Jesus did, what he accomplished. He shall prolong his days, eternal life, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Jesus Christ accomplished, God the Son accomplished what God the Father sent him to accomplish. He, God, shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. And be satisfied. The issue of the guilt of sin that rests upon the human race has been utterly, completely addressed. Jesus paid it all. It is finished. It is paid in full. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. So we step from a standing of condemnation into a standing of righteousness before God. And it's all a gift. It's all a gift. We don't earn it. He earned it for us. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I, God the Father, will divide to him a portion with the great. What does Jesus say in Matthew 28? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In John 3.16, for God so loved, Jesus addressing Nicodemus. These are Jesus' words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Well, that term only begotten means full heir of all things. It's all coming to him. And when Jesus came out of that tomb and ascended into the presence of the Father, God the Father handed the day-to-day governance of the universe into the hands of his son. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I, God the Father, will divide to him, God the Son, a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. And guess what? He's going to turn around and take from the abundance handed to him by the Father and share it with us. He shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death. This is what he did to qualify for that blessing from his Father. For he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many. And made intercession for the transgressors. And here we are. The transgressors. Those whose sins put him on the cross. Receiving the benefit. 
And that is what these last three days have been the commemoration of. Christ paid sin's penalty for us. And then on the third day, he came out of that tomb and stepped into kingdom glory, kingdom authority, kingdom power, and then he turns around and shares it with us and actually honors us by recruiting us as his followers, his useful instruments here in this hostile place to be used for his glory, to qualify for further kingdom work. And all God's people said, Amen.